This episode of Life Behind Bars is brought to you by Knob Creek Bourbon. Welcome to another edition of Life Behind Bars. I'm Noah Rothbaum, the Daily Beast Half Full Editor. Joining me, as always, is my colleague and co-host, David Weinrich. How are you, Dave? I'm okay. How are you? I am very well. I am excited for today's topic. Uh, whiskey, not just whiskey, but um, making cocktails with older whiskey, something I know that... Um, we both have done on occasion and uh, with very good success. Absolutely. <laughs> and joining us a little bit later, we'll have uh, Knob Creek Ambassadors, uh, Tim Heisler and Amanda Gunderson joining us for, for an interesting conversation to get their ideas and their advice about using uh, older, older bourbons uh, in, in drinks. But, uh, you know, at first, you know, maybe you and I will talk a little bit about the history of, you know, using older spirits and cocktails. I think a lot of Drinkers and bartenders have this idea that you can only use younger and, you know, the, the less expensive, you know, spirits in, in cocktails or otherwise you're somehow ruining them. I think rule number one is drink how you like. You know? <laughs> always, always. <laughs> always. Who are and we to tell you, want, you how to drink? Yeah. If, if you want to put an older spirit into a cocktail, go right ahead. I mean, there's no, uh, those rules uh, that people keep spouting at you in, in, in bars or in, uh, you know, chat rooms or uh, on Twitter or wherever you, uh, you, you talk booze. uh, Most of those are just myths and, uh, and don't really have any relevance to how a grown-up should drink, you know? <laughs> well, put. if only we could fit that on a bumper sticker, I'd put that on. Yeah, you know, I'll drink how I want. And if, if I want to use a uh, Exo Cognac to uh, to make my stinger tonight, uh, that's that's my money. I, I paid for that bottle, and I'm using it how I see fit. So that's one side of the, of the question. You know, I mean, there is another side, but that's that's certainly... There's no law that says you can't do that. And and I think, you know, as we look at different eras of, of cocktail history and drinking history, you know, the, the age range of what was used oh, for yeah. drinks obviously changes widely, you know, over the 200 years plus that people have been making cocktails and that, you know, at, at certain points, people are using older spirits than what we use today for drinks and some areas they're using younger spirits and it and there's really you know no hard and fast you know through line that says you know throughout the last 200 years every cocktail has been made with four and a half year old bourbon and five and a half year old rye whiskey i mean it's all over the map you know 100 plus years ago uh the the popular cognac was three star and the three star grade was 10 to 12 years old and that's what people were using to make their their drinks. There were cheaper ones available, but you know, good uh, fancy bars were were making had no problem using that stuff. Uh, nowadays, that's an XO grade cognac that nobody uses for <laughs> right. con- for uh, except for us, maybe yeah, well, you uh, know, except for us. And uh, <laughs> you, if you do use it, you okay? I just paid one hundred and twenty dollars for that uh, bottle of cognac, and I'm using uh, two ounces. That's you know. 12th of the bottle so that's ten dollars worth of cognac right yeah. there yeah. on the other hand the ten dollars is you'll pay that for a drink in even a crap bar 
Yeah, that's like you that's know? like a can of beer, like in a lot of bars. I, I know. Mean, not... So it, it's like it's such a false economy, especially at home. You know, in cooking, people you know or have now been trained to look for the best ingredients, right? Like we, yeah. you know, we want to use you know good butter from Europe that has a higher fat content where, you know, people are looking for different types of flour, you know, they're looking for, you know, organic, you know, meat or fish or vegetables. But for some reason, when it comes to drinking, it's like, no, no, just give me the cheapest stuff you got, the youngest stuff. And that's fine. And it's like, it doesn't make any sense. No, it doesn't. I, I do think if you're using expensive ingredients, that 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 food analogy is very smart because if you're buying Kobe beef, you're probably not going to make chili out of it. You know? <laughs> I would like to cry now. I want to cry, but you're right. Yeah, you're right. Well, I, I, I mean, there's a lot of fat in there. It would actually be pretty tasty. But yeah, where I've gone to restaurants where they do something silly like that, where they use something, and by the time it it's done whatever intrinsic you know character that you know you know something like kobe is known for and it's so expensive and so prized for by the time it comes to your plate like as a hamburger you know covered right. with mushrooms or like it doesn't matter like they didn't have to use that it's just sort of yeah, and it's like, it's it's the same with spirits uh you know i'm i'm a, a little bit of scottish ancestry which means i i like to be parsimonious about things which is a fancy way of saying i'm cheap <laughs> But uh, but um you know it, 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 it so I don't want to waste it if I'm using right. spirit I'm not going to uh, make punch with exo cognac make big bowls of punch although that would be tasty I'd probably use something a little less uh, yeah. uh, expensive uh, because it will be hidden behind the lemon juice and uh, and and the dilution and the same with whiskeys you know I. I if I'm going to do something like that, I think you you have a responsibility to uh, to uh, make sure that you can taste the taste the whiskey uh, or taste you know taste the rare spirit uh, that you're not hiding it. I think that sometimes it, it's just a, a matter of sometimes reversing proportions, right? So like yeah. you know sometimes with like you know I love a highball. We've talked about highballs a lot on this show. We, there's a whole episode. If you look back, you know, in modern thought, you know, a lot of it follows a Japanese school where it's more, you know, club soda or seltzer than, than whiskey, right? right? Where, but it doesn't have to be that way, right? It could be, you know, we've seen in, in, you know, all the amazing thin man movies where people go to the sideboard and they have the, you know, soda siphon and um, they take a little squirt of, you know, club soda or seltzer into their highball but it's mostly whiskey or or some other round spirit Mm -hmm. and it's you know it's more whiskey with just a little bit of club soda so there you're just sort of opening it up a little bit and you're adding a little bit of carbonation which some of the older spirits is good too because they're they're higher proof and and they've been in a barrel for a long time so they could open up a little bit they could stand a little bit of um opening up so uh, you know sometimes it's just that or or it's or it's dialing back you know, maybe you don't need to use as much sugar like in an old-fashioned, right, or, or or bitters. or. I mean, it's the same with citrus. I might not make a big bowl of punch where there's a lot of dilution and the citrus tends to sort of dominate, but I will make a whiskey sour, which is much more concentrated right. drink. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, and uh, where you can really taste the whiskey because there's not all the water in there that makes punch into a session drink. You know, whiskey sour, you don't want to keep drinking uh, too many of them because they're very strong. But uh, but if you have a, a, a whiskey sour in front of you, you know, you're going to taste the bourbon or, or the uh, rye, whatever you're using. 
that's actually a good one with bourbon. And uh, it's it won't be drowned out the same way it would be in in punch because as you said you're changing the the, the proportions to uh to emphasize what you're using yeah i mean i i think you know one of the rules of using older whiskeys and in drinks and cocktails is is you need courage right you need you need <laughs> yeah. courage right i mean it, yeah, it, 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 you have to be bold i mean it i've seen you know even very experienced bartenders or or you know, whiskey aficionado sort of blanch at the idea of, um, of you know, of, of having, uh, you know, of having to make a drink with an older spirit, with an older whiskey. And um, mm-hmm. that's a funny thing, um, you know, where, you know, they, they start getting very nervous about, you know, um, trying to do that. And, and, and really, I, you know, it, I, I don't know what people think are, is going to happen, right? I mean, at worst, it doesn't. It's not going to blow up, right? It doesn't. It doesn't <laughs> it's not maybe the best drink you've ever had, or you prefer right. it in a different preparation. But I mean, I imagine it's still probably going to be drinkable. I mean, you just might not taste, you know, the full characteristic, the full expression right. of of that whiskey. But I mean, there are worse things in my mind than, um, you know, having a, a so-so whiskey cocktail is better than no whiskey cocktail. So, uh, you know, I mean, I, maybe yeah. maybe it's the the lost yeah. potential then, that, that you, you mourn, know, but uh, I don't know. Then you've learned something also. Right. You've learned what not to do. That's <laughs> important, learning what to do. Absolutely. You know? We talk about this a lot, but just because something's older or more expensive, it doesn't mean that you're going to like it more, that, you know, it has to be served, you know, by the eye crop, right? I mean, it, right. it's a very, you know, it depends spirit to spirit, you know, whiskey to whiskey, bourbon to bourbon, you know, some you might like better neat, some you might like better on the rocks, some you might like in a drink, some you might not like at all, right? I mean, it's, it's, you know, an, if only it was so easy to say, oh, yeah, like with every year, it gets 10% better. You know, it's just, it I mean, doesn't work that way. I'll <laughs> even say that, you know, some of the older bourbons are better in a mixed drink. Yeah. Yeah, because they've gotten a little bit bitter and they've gotten quite woody, and yeah. uh, that's one way of opening them up and balancing them out is to make like a New York sour. You yeah. know, where where you make a whiskey sour and you float some red wine on top, the tannins of the red wine sing out to the tannins of the old whiskey, and you end up you know with something that's very harmonious. It's worth trying. It's always worth trying. Since one of the sub themes of this episode is being bold. I, I'm going to make a musical analogy, and, and you are the you are the trained musician and professional musician. I am not, but it almost seems to me like you know some of these older whiskeys. It's like an orchestra, right? Where people are playing, you know, very um, antique or old instruments, right? Mm-hmm. Like you know a Stradivarius, right? And they all have their own unique sounds that they're prized for, and they're very. Um, they're very, you know, uh, specific and put together right, right. with an orchestra. They come together like the, the the sum of the parts is greater than than that one Stradivarius playing on its own. Yeah, absolutely true. Dave hates me. He's like, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, don't ever make me use a canal. Like, no, that's uh, a good one, though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there 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 are a lot of notes. You know, the older the whiskey, the more notes you get. At least uh, good notes. <laughs> I've had some young whiskeys with a lot of notes too, and oh boy! But uh... <laughs> well, without further ado, we'll, we'll we'll bring in our guests, um, Tim and Amanda from from Knob Creek, and uh, we'll be right back in a minute.
Welcome, Tim and Amanda. Thank you for joining us today. Howdy. Hi, happy to be here. Glad to be here as well. How are we feeling? Feeling pretty good. Uh, I think uh, any excuse to drink um, bourbon and older bourbon is always is always welcome. Uh, particularly in the middle of the day. <laughs> <laughs> or in the That's evening. One, I suppose, but... <laughs> You're telling me it's 11 a.m. over here. <laughs> Well, that's perfect time. <laughs> you know, speaking about older bourbon, you know, I think there's a common misconception among drinkers and and, and some bartenders is that, you know, just because you have a, a whiskey that, that has a little bit more age or um, it's a little bit more expensive that like you can't, you know, add anything to it. You know, like you, you can't add water, you can't add ice and God forbid you ask for it in a cocktail. You know, that's just sacrilege. Yeah, I think... Uh... I mean, you know, there's everyone kind of has their own their own style of of drinking, and I think our our master distiller Fred No always says it best. You can you can drink whiskey however the hell you like, <laughs> and I never I never saw that resonate so much with someone as to I was I was with Fred I don't know two years ago, and he went in for we're doing a little staff training where we're chatting with the bartenders, and and one of the bartenders said, "Hey, Fred, I you know I love." love your family, love the legacy and learn about all the products. He said, I got this regular, he comes in and he, he only drinks bookers, but when he comes in, he gets bookers with ice and ginger ale and bitters and a lemon. And that's, and that's how he drinks it. And like, what, what should I say to him? And Fred just looks at the bartender. He says, he's, he's drinking bookers, drinking master, drinking bookers. I said, yeah. He said, tell him I said, thanks. <laughs> that was that good was to it. me. Yeah, that <laughs> was it. And the bartender's eyes just like shot out of his head. He's like, I guess you're right. Like, why can't I? Yeah. All right. I'll tell him thanks. And, and Fred is, I mean, is obviously, you know, Booker's son and and what Jim Beam's great grandson. So I mean, he he knows a thing or two about whiskey and how it should be drunk. Yeah, I mean, Booker himself being the um creator of Knob Creek. I one time heard Freddie, who's about to be the next, the eighth generation to take the reins over there at Beam, and um, he was telling a story about Booker, and he said that they were at, uh, you know, some tasting, and he was talking about Booker's, and he always intended with that, you know, non-chill filtration right from the middle of the rack house, always at a barrel proof that you could drink it however you wanted. If that meant you wanted a little water or a little ice, you know, it could open it up in certain ways. So he was definitely not opposed to that, but he was also, for anyone who knew him, extraordinarily opinionated and not afraid to give that opinion to you. <laughs> you know? and so he's talking. I, I have heard people. that. <laughs> I, I do have. He was, he was something. He was something. So he's talking to these people one day and this little old lady, she says, you know, my husband says I'm ruining your whiskey because I like to drink Booker's with Coke. And everybody sort of, you know, grabs their armchair in the room and tries to, try to hold on for what Booker's about to say to her. And he says, well, if you're drinking Booker's with Coke, you're drinking the best damn whiskey and Coke in the world. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, I mean, his, you know, his job was making whiskey, but his job was also selling whiskey. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's also one of these weird times when, you know, you know, Booker know and, and, you know, sort of creates the small batch collection and, and sort of helps lead this renaissance of American whiskey. I mean, it's sort of hard for us now with American whiskey being so popular to, you know, really understand the extent of like what a bad time it was to, for the American whiskey industry in, in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s, right? So that like, you know, not only did, you know, Booker and, and, and his colleagues at 
you know, have to, you know, basically create like a whole new category, but they also had to reteach, you know, bartenders and drinkers, you know, how to appreciate American whiskey mm-hmm. and that it was worth appreciating and not just shooting or mixing, you know, in, in very simple drinks. Depends on the kind of day you're having, but yeah, I'd usually recommend going against the uh, shooting strategy yeah. when you get into the age statement stuff, but you know, depends on the week, depends on the week this, this year. <laughs> yeah. Usually tell you to sip, slowly sip. Yeah. You know, I was, um, just talking to an expert in wood yesterday and we were talking about, he said, I thought it was such a nice thing that he said, he said, you know, there's something about bourbon that tells you that it's slow, that even if you don't know that much about bourbon or that much about whiskey in general or how it's made or how you get it, there's something about the flavor and the look and the feel and the mouthfeel of it that tells you that it's slow. So it's kind of why you can see a lot of whiskeys will get paired up mm-hmm. with, you know, cigar smoking or something like that, because those are, or, or chit chatting with friends, you know, while you're just having it neat or on the rocks, it's, it's a slow activity that goes with something that took a long time yeah, to get for there. Sure. On the other hand, you can drink it pretty quick. <laughs> it's <made laughs> because, for you know, you can mix it into uh, for instance, Manhattan and Manhattan's not a drink that you want to linger over for uh, for a half an hour. You know, you want it to drink. You want to drink it while it's cold. Drink it while it's laughing at you, like the old cliche goes. And it, and it does work pretty well, especially you know some of the older bourbons uh, work better in the Manhattan than some of the younger bourbons. It's interesting. Yeah, it is interesting. I think it's also, I mean, Tim, you could probably speak to this too, but I think bourbon's a really interesting category because, um, you know, a lot of people sort of, when they first think of whiskey, are thinking maybe about scotch, um, and then kind of bourbon comes in there. So, uh, as a second player, or, you know, the, or I get asked a lot of times questions from people who are a little bit more novice or new or trying to explore whiskey for the first time, mm-hmm. like what's the difference between bourbon and whiskey, you know? So there's a lot of that kind of in the world. And so people are just getting around to bourbon itself. And I think with Scotch, you get these enormous age statements, right? And it's like, oh, well, you can explain why it's so expensive because it's 30 years old or whatever it is. But I think it's important to note that most bourbon being made there in Kentucky is, uh, being made in a place that is very, very hot in the summertime. So with these age statements, for me, I almost rather refer to them as like, instead of nine years or 12 years or 15 years, I'd like to refer to them as nine summers or 12 summers or 15 mm-hmm. summers. Cause that's where, since we're not doing temperature controlled rack houses, that's where a lot of that aging is going. And once you get up past about 15 or 18 years in bourbon, because those conditions are so harsh in the summertime, you can start getting a real tanniny whiskey that um, you have to really be somebody who is loves bourbons and has sort of made that your life to enjoy as much as possible because they can be pretty harsh on the palate. That in bourbon making, I feel like that sweet spot is somewhere between, you know, like eight and eighteen years. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the the nine, twelve, and fifteen that you're referring to are. are the, the Knob Creek range now and, um, you know, speaking about, you know, age statements and, and Knob, I mean, I think it's, it's interesting that, you know, our perspective over time, you know, sort of shifts as what is the standard age for bourbon, right? So like at different parts in American whiskey history, you have, you know, uh, more supply or less supply mm-hmm. or global, you know, events happen like you know, prohibition different world wars that really affect 
how old whiskey is and how old, you know, distilleries can allow their whiskey to age. So I think it's interesting when you look in old cocktail books and, and, and whiskey books to see, you know, what people think is standard or, you know, what's young is, is relative or what's mm -hmm. old is really relative. I mean, something like a, uh, there, there, there were plenty of times in American history when something like a nine-year-old Knob Creek would be a very yeah. old bourbon. You know, and and then uh, and then and there were other times like right after Prohibition, there were a lot of uh, 16, 17 yeah. year old bourbons on the market because they had had been sitting on them during Prohibition for 13 years. And uh, so if they put them in the barrel a little bit early uh, and it really kind of changes each each approximate age range changes what you can do with it, which is I, I think is interesting in mixing drinks. I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure you you guys have experimented some with that. I would imagine uh, with different drinks for different uh, different ages here. Yeah, and I mean, when we you know when we talk about you're talking about some of the older older age statements you would have seen after post prohibition. I think one of the you know some of our dis distillery managers and then who's overseeing our warehouses, uh, we kind of like to make the joke, or you know, depending on the year and the season, are, are we looking at liquid streams or liquid puddles? You know what I mean? It's all mm -hmm. supply and demand, mm -hmm. obviously. Um, right. And yeah, of course, we do have large distilleries and large warehouses, but you know, are these barrels, are these bourbons and rides at the the right age and the the peak point where we're comfortable uh, releasing them, creating these brands? I mean, again, working at the, the James B. Beam House, we got um, a variety of brands we produce, and yeah, this year we were ecstatic ecstatic to put that nine-year age statement back onto our base knob creek bourbon um and we were also you know keeping our eye on inventory and stocks to make sure we could put out this the knob creek 12-year age statement and the 15-year age statement um and it really i mean it is it's it's really exciting i mean I'm, you know years ago when we had to take that age statement off it was it was pretty crushing especially to you know, we know Fred and Freddie because Booker always mm -hmm. wanted that nine-year age statement on it. But again, liquid streams versus liquid puddles, supply and demand, um, you know, it goes down a very, it's a lot of different elements coming into play. Uh, and this year, you know, putting putting those products out definitely gave us some 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 freedom and some some fun while we were stuck at home for so long to play around with these these whiskeys and these age statements to, to make some fun drinks. Well, especially when you think, you know, even something like a nine-year-old, I mean, that's that's nine years ago. Somebody had to say, like, "Oh, we're going to put this down," and in you know, twenty twenty, in, in you know, twenty eleven, put it down. And say, "Oh, in twenty twenty, we're going to drink this." Like, we got to save enough. We got to forecast, you know, what people are going to want. Or obviously, it's even older for for twelve or fifteen. So, I mean, it's this constant game of you know distillers and um, you know distillers trying to figure out, you know, okay, like you know, what will people want in a decade or two decades or, you know, and, right. and if it's too much, it's, 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 you know, it's not ideal. If it's too little, it's not ideal. So it's, uh, you know, I think it's usually fairly spot on, but we have seen obviously, you know, in whiskey history where distillers have either made way too much product or way too little product. And, you know, has that obviously has huge ramifications uh, when it's time to, uh, to bottle the whiskey. I mean, in the 1990s, nobody predicted that rye would come back. Oh, for you sure. Know? We saw what happened with that. There was a, such a shortage for such a long time. But now we're finally, we finally got rye stocks back. And, you know, also things like the nine-year-old Knob Creek. I mean, 
that was uh, partly a result of that was a result of, of success. I think also with that being, uh, you know, you kind of have to be this, um, you know, this predictor of the future as you're putting things down, and so I think that that can also lend itself to um, the preciousness of some of these whiskeys. And sometimes a bartender will not want to make a cocktail out of that because they know this was a very small yield or something like that. And so um, I think that that's where it can also feel like no, you can you can go ahead and make a cocktail with it if that's what you want or if that's what your guest wants. It might be just the exact perfect flavor profile for that cocktail. It's just they didn't foresee nine years ago that they needed the yield that they needed, and now it's become sort of a precious thing. But you, you know, with the, with the rare of the whiskey, I do think it puts a little bit of responsibility on the person who's mixing with it to uh, not hide the whiskey, yeah. to... Uh, to let it shine rather than just to throw it in because it's rare. Absolutely. You know, uh, mm-hmm. and, I, and I've seen a lot of uh, inexperienced mixologists, you know, mix in like uh, Earl Grey tea syrup uh. and uh, passion fruit <laughs> and about 18 other ingredients with a really old whiskey. And it's you, you can't taste that whiskey at yeah. all. Uh, I, I mean, the, the, the older the whiskey, the more you want to just, cushion it you know with with other ingredients just put a little bit around the edges and i think that that is is uh where experience comes in and and uh in 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 giving you the the uh the knowledge that this is a place where i really don't want to put my ego in this i want to back off and make this as simple a drink as possible where it will be delicious but you'll be able to taste uh, the rareness of the whiskey in there Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's like funny because for me personally, when I think about these three age statements, the nine, the 12 and the 15 for Knob Creek, to me, the one that I personally would not make into a cocktail is the 12 year, just because the whiskey is so delicious for my palate that I just want to drink that like every day. It's my nighttime go-to. I just, I love that one so much. It's one of my very favorite liquids that we have right now. And we have some really beautiful, wonderful things coming out of the distillery, but I just, I love that Knob Creek 12 year. So I would be less likely to make that into a cocktail, but I do like the 15, because it is so robust at that age statement um, in a Boulevardier, but I mess around with the ingredients a little bit, so it's not a one-to-one-to-one cocktail. It's mm-hmm. a one-and-a-half, one-three-quarter, so I would do one-and-a-half of the whiskey and then throw in at the end just a touch, like a half to a bar spoonful of uh, green chartreuse. And all of those things come together in a stirred format where they just really make that particular whiskey shine. So I, I actually like the 15 in a cocktail, where even though that's our, it's a, it's an expensive bottle of whiskey, so I would not necessarily go to it, but I, I do love that. Well, you, you know, I tried it in a mint julep last night, so, uh, and uh, that was quite good. Uh, the 12 or the 15? The 15. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, High that's a drink where the ingredient, ingredients are so simple. It's just mint and sugar and lots of ice. I'll, I'll use uh, Exo Cognacs in mint juleps because uh, when you taste that drink, you know exactly where the money went. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like the money is in my glass. It's not hiding. You know, there's no place to hide in a drink so simple. And something like the 15 with all those those waves of, of flavor and the little bit of bitterness that comes from the 15 years in oak just to just to 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 keep it from being gooey uh really works very well 
It's uh, it's it's an absolutely lovely. It was a lovely drink. I wish I had another one. Say, right Dave, now. I'm I'm over here. <laughs> I poured myself a little bit of the 15 just to remind myself, and now I'm about to go on mute and have to go start shaking up a mint julep. <laughs> there you go. I will I will refrain till we're done recording to do that. But yeah, now I'm, I'm like making me salivate. In America, proof generally rises as whiskey ages, right? Where in Scotland, the proof falls. So, you know, some of the older whiskeys are still high proof and you know because they've been in the barrel they've been you know asleep so to speak i do think a little water often helps open them up a little bit and, and even booker mm-hmm. i know back in the day would drink his whiskey with uh, branch water like spring water and, and ice and depending upon the day he had you know he'd always sort of regulate the proportions of the ingredients and you know so so you know just a little bit of dilution maybe you know even like the mink jewel there's obviously a lot of water in there you know and a little bit of the flavors just to sort of smooth the edges to wake up the spirit you know mm-hmm. i don't know i mean i i've had over the years uh dave and i are, are spoiled we get to taste a lot of um old and exotic and expensive and cool stuff and sometimes we get to play around with them and, and try things like 50 year old bourbon and mink juleps or uh you know, very old tequila in, in different uh, margarita variations. And and to be honest, that generally they're delicious. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's the same when it comes to, you know, obviously any, any chef of starting off with quality ingredients. And um, I mean, I've made the joke, I don't even know how many hundred times now being living virtually on zoom, but I, I tell everyone, I'm like, listen, I can see you at home. I know you're a professional chef now and you're home making pastas and you're making sourdough bread from scratch. And that's what you're doing. Cause it's COVID and you're locked down. Like if you can do all that, you can certainly also make some really high quality drinks. Um, and yet yeah, experiment mm-hmm. and start in smaller proportions. So you're not again, you know, ruining or uh, maybe dumping some money down the drain. That's never any fun. So start, start in small proportions. There's nothing wrong with that. And some, a little splash of water, a few ice cubes, any of these products to find some of those flavor notes first and then work from there. So, um, yeah, I see everyone at home. I know you're all professional chefs, so you can bartend as well. <laughs> I promise you. I And that's coming from someone who's not a professional chef. I can't do those things. Are there any kind of things that you would never mix, you know, older whiskeys with, you know, are there certain ingredients that are, are they too overwhelming? Um, I mean... I like people, you know, everyone's got a different palate and I encourage people to experiment. I really do. I know that when it came to, to what I was experimenting with and, and typically what I, what I, what I generally lean towards is I really lean towards a lot of the stirred classics uh, to not overwhelm some of these older whiskeys, not saying you can't shake any drinks. Obviously, you know, we're talking about mint jewels and things like that, but I, I tend to lean personally towards a lot of the, stirred cocktails i think that falls in line also with amanda saying earlier that you can taste that these bourbons Mm -hmm. took time and they were slow and i like that slow methodical build to these drinks when it comes to specific uh ingredients to stay away from i don't know i don't want to bash ingredients some people might love it i'm coming to your house for that um bourbon mary and you can put the 15 year old in my uh, bloody mary on uh for brunch <laughs> we'll test it out we'll see if you really <laughs> <Worcestershire>. <laughs> I, also like oh, totally. I, mean, I have to say that i agree with both dave and tim on this point that you know with dave and being that uh you know 
as you're playing around with it, maybe think about what flavors are coming out of there and how you can help them shine and um, what opposites and um, similarities you want to kind of attract from that. Uh, but I agree with Tim too. I don't love telling somebody how to, how to drink, you know? So um, I feel like it's sort of in hospitality, something that got lost for a little while that, you know, it's, it's not just your job to, um, to make a great drink. Mm -hmm. It's your job to make people feel good. And people only come and sit at a bar for a few reasons. You know, they're, they're celebrating, they're on a date, they're, they're sad about something. And it's your, uh, it's your job to quickly assess that and then lean into it. You know, if somebody says, um, you know, I want a, a Manhattan made with, you know, I don't know, Jim Beam, it's not your job to say, um, well, that's really supposed to be made with rye whiskey and blah, 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 you know, <laughs> especially if that dude's on a date. It's your job to be like, great choice, boss. So <clears throat> I kind of feel like that part of me really doesn't like to tell people, you know, how to drink or what to mix with. But I, for me personally, I mean, I'm not afraid to knock down some highballs in a pool at all, but I <clears throat> personally prefer my whiskey to be um, stirred. And I, I've always thought it was such a strong move when I've seen cocktail competitions, when somebody would come with a stirred cocktail, because you really can't, I mean, there's a lot of things you can bury into a stirred cocktail, but you can't bury mm. it with, um, you know, passion fruit and lemon and citrus, all these things that you, you know, it's a really strong yeah, statement sure. just to come out of the gate. Yeah, with it's, something it's, stirred. it's uh, I mean, some of the greatest drinks out there, you know, the, 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 the original whiskey cocktail, uh, which I like to do. It's basically a straight up old fashioned that works great with something like the uh, 12 year old, which is so almost yep. caramelly and a little bit, uh, you know, just sweet and rich and, 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 and delicious, just a little bit of bitters to, uh, to offset that and balance it out, uh, stir it up with ice. I mean, American whiskey laughs at ice anyway. It was, it grew up with ice. <laughs> It was made for ice. It's never a problem to put ice in American whiskey, as far as I can see. And is there is there any added sugar in that cocktail, or is there is? Yeah, I'll put a little bit in, but you know, snake. it's we're talking like a barf yeah. yeah. I mean, and then you stir it up and strain it into a into a nice cocktail glass so it doesn't get warm. And mm. uh, oh lord, that's tasty! A little lemon peel on top, or with bourbon, I prefer orange peel, yeah. uh, just because mm -hmm. it uh, it kind of mellows into it. But uh, oh, so good, so so. I think that's going to be the the cocktail of the day. I'm not going to lie. You've uh, the mint julep is is a little bit too much work <laughs> for right now. But uh, the, the yeah, no julep. You have to have the yeah. mint. I happen to have some yeah. mint in in the drawer. Yeah. So uh, I was like, why wouldn't yeah. I do this? <laughs> yeah, no, I think uh, the whiskey cocktail is is exactly um, mm -hmm. what um, what is. Uh, what is in order for today? Well, thank you, Tim and Amanda, for, for coming on. I appreciate it. Uh, hopefully one day we'll, we'll all meet for some uh, old uh, whiskey cocktails, for some uh, uh, mature whiskey cocktails, uh, however you want to call them. And uh, I want one of those Boulevardiers, Amanda, I have to say. <laughs> Doesn't that sound good? We'll, yeah, we'll definitely have one in person. And uh, just one last quick thing. I'm sure, Tim, you probably have a last quick thing, too. But I just would say that when you're talking about bookers, for example, because of that non-chill filtration, you don't really realize the high proof that you're drinking. So that's a good one to, like, add water or ice, too, as we're talking about how bourbon is sort of meant for ice. Because uh, Booker himself used to always refer to that whiskey as pajama whiskey. 
because he'd say, you better be in your pajamas or on your way to your pajamas if you're going to start. (laughs) 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 So that's my final thought here. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, I'll just, I'll, well, first off, knowing Dave, I'm up in New York, so uh, you want to get doing in-person 9, 12, or 15-year cocktail, you just say the word, and, I'll, and, I'm, and I'm there. <laughs> Good it. It's still, it's still, it's still 70 and sunny right now, so we can find ourselves an outside table it's to do true. that. Well, we could do it if it was 30 <laughs> and raining. Also, <laughs> yes. Also, <laughs> I'll take That's you up on that as well. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Hugs you for, warms you up from the inside yeah. out. Uh, no, I just want to. Uh, just want to thank you both for your time today, on behalf of myself and Amanda, Nog Creek and Beam Suntory. We we appreciate the time, and um, we love we love chatting all the things. And we'll give a shout out to all of our friends uh, in the hospitality industry, uh, the bartenders, the chefs, the servers, the the dishwashers, the That's hostesses, fine. everybody. Uh, we miss you. We love you. We we hope if you tuned in, you enjoyed it, and. I hope to see all of you in person sooner than later and hope to share a, a not pre cocktail with, with each and every one of you as soon as humanly possible. So much love to the hospitality industry. Amen. Dave and I encourage you to drink responsibly always. 